Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed Ed, Mike, and myself, Steve. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Hello. All right, let's make it a free-for-all. Who wants to tell me what's the biggest story of the week? I don't think there is a big story this week. Nobody has one. Oh, so many big <laughs> stories this week. First of all, there's this new quote bombshell that came out like a half an hour ago that uh, Comer et al. thinks they have a smoking gun of Biden accepting a bribe to do something while he was vice president. You guys didn't see that? I, I saw that. I just, without any actual evidence, I just don't put any credibility into these sorts of claims. You don't um, think he's going to be impeached tomorrow? <laughs> I don't think the, if there is such evidence that will ever be produced, and if there isn't such evidence, they will ever produce anything to clear him. I mean, so I, I, I you know. It depends if they want him gone. Well, that, yeah. that is an issue. And I guess the other interesting Biden, um, Biden story is the Hunter story having to show up in court, which is pretty kind of interesting how he's the president's son who sleeps on cots overseas, but some, you know, podunk judge can get him to show up, which Congress probably couldn't do. And is that going to go anywhere? Or he's going to bargain his way out and weasel his way out. Is this for the paternity? For the, he, he asked to have his child support reduced because he had ah. money. You know, my dad used to say, never, ever, ever go up in front of a judge because you'll lose more than you thought was on the table. Why mm. did you just leave well enough alone, keep accepting bribes from China and pay off the lady? I mean, <laughs> he asked for he asked for this trouble. So question is, how long will they leave this uh, judge alive? <laughs> I, yeah, I, this one thing about uh, state judges, they, um, they can issue a bench warrant and it's honored in all the rest of the states, you know, so. You gotta I, mean, show she up. Literally, I think it's a she. She literally said, you need to show up in person for every hearing from now on. No more of this high priced lawyer showing up in your place, which was yeah. pretty gutsy. Um, I assume she has full time bodyguards. You know, obviously, I don't have any sympathy for for Hunter due to his. Um, you know, his many, many corrupt schemes. Um, uh, but, you know, Hunter isn't the president, right? I mean, I'm more interested in uh, in the fact that, you know, 10% went to the big guy. And, uh, well, the know, point is to get his financials. In a child support hearing, his income is going to be held up to public scrutiny. That's part of the issue. Yeah. Well, he might not have any income, to be honest. He might have millions of dollars in the bank somewhere in the Cayman Islands, but he doesn't probably have any income. Uh, and I don't know what the law is with regard to child support. Um, well, he's got his paintings and stuff. The point is, she's yeah. You know, that court is not accepting redacted papers, and I think it's pretty funny that he put himself in a position that he's going to have to weasel out of somehow. I mean, I don't know if the court will just let him say, you know what, forget about it. I'm happy paying what I'm paying, or they're going to stick it to him. Mm -hmm. Well, he's an idiot not to uh, uh, to get in, into a court. To begin with, he should have settled this before going from and his, judge. Lawyer, his lawyers should never have let him do this because I don't know what he's paying his lawyers, but I'm sure it's less than I've what heard he paid 885 an hour. What's that? They say 885 an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, that 
pay the chick 885 an hour and you'd be better off. <laughs> it's the, the irony of him being in trouble with, a, you know, a, a small state court, but being able to evade everybody else. And, you know, he, to literally go to a court and say you slept on a cot in your dad's room. I mean, at a certain point, perjury shouldn't need proof. Yeah. So pretty dumb. Okay, if you guys think nothing else is important, we've got New York still complaining, I think in Chicago too, about the migrants. We can't handle all these migrants. Oh, it was just announced that um, that Biden was going to send 1,500 army troops to the border. And, you know, the point is what, um, you know, what, what I've got a YouGov poll. What do you think of it? And like, I don't think anything of it because they're not going to do anything. You know, I mean, if they're going to oh, yes, shoot they them, will. that's great. That's, they're not going to do They're going to usher people across the border. They're yeah, gonna get exactly. Over. Okay, so there exactly. were two stories. I heard one is that they're going to do very little. The other, the really cynical take was they are there to make it easier for CBP to usher people across the border by taking over their administrative duties. And that this is literally to help more migrants come in. That's more simple yeah. than they're going to do nothing, but. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, I don't, I don't know what the thing is. I mean, they, they're hell bent on say, Oh, you know, illegal immigration has dropped 90%. Yeah. Under Biden's leadership, it's dropped yeah. 90. And you know why? Because they call all these illegal migrants <laughs> refugees and thus they're not right. illegal. No, it's because she was talking about her parole program. I thought it was because we had Baghdad Bob at the, at the head of the podium. No, I think she's right. I mean, I think she's right. I think all of these illegal immigrants are getting ushered in, called refugees and let go. And all they are, uh, you know, illegal immigrants. But if if you have a card saying you're a refugee, a piece of paper, then uh, then you're not, quote unquote, illegal. Now, you have to show up in a few years for a refugee hearing. And when you don't, then you'll be officially illegal. But, well, you know, that's how you that's how you do it. You just redefine it. Yeah, well, I, I don't think she did it that way. I think she just said she was referring to a different program. How convenient. Mm. Okay, if you guys don't like those stories, <laughs> let's talk about the, I think we talked about this a little bit, the punishing people with good credit. Yes, we did. Um, we did. Um, we did. I saw there's a story out there, a bunch of states are quote unquote fighting this, or they don't understand any of the legal wrangling that could take place. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the legal basis for fighting it is i mean obviously it's a it's a it's an atrocious hideous evil policy um but on the other hand pretty much everything the government does is an atrocious awful evil policy and i don't know what the basis would be to um uh, just said they sent fight this letter, they sent a letter slamming them um but maybe there is nothing legal they can force is there any point in them sending a letter 37 state financial officers are blasting this edict, but I guess none yeah, of that. The purpose, the, the purpose do. doesn't have to be a legal one. It's it's a moral one, and a you know you, you in order to, to defeat these people, you have to get you have to alert people to the to the danger. So many people don't understand, don't even realize what's going on. I I, I think I mentioned on last week's show. I, I've had several people come up to me and say, "Is this really happening? This doesn't sound possible." Mm -hmm. 
and and yet it is. So there's a there's a whole education effort that needs to go out, and it's just well, part of that education effort. I mean, People part, need to know part that's of it, what's going on. Part of it is we're bombarded every day with something else that they're throwing at us, and it's just it's so hard to keep up with it. You know, and, and as, as bad as this particular issue is, it's not as bad as some of the other bigger picture stuff that we talk about all the time. Right. I'll put these two stories together with the story from Bernie Sanders called for the U.S. government to confiscate assets over nine hundred ninety nine million dollars. Just literally take it. <laughs> and another story that New York City is looking to make a different higher fines on rich people who illegally park than on poor people who illegally yeah. park. Now, I'm not 100% sure how they're pulling that one off, <laughs> how they're figuring out who's rich. The original story I heard, I don't know if it's true, is like if you have a fancy car or something. But it, it, we're so blatant, it's kind of to your point, Mike. Well, there's, a, there's an old on the rich. There's a story in the Old Testament, I forget, like, I think it was Sodom and Gomorrah, where uh, God's going to destroy uh, the city, and uh, and I forget who the uh, the prophet was asked him uh, Abraham well, Abraham if there's uh, you know if there's fifty good people will you keep it and then you know and then he or you know right yeah you got it got it down to ten so that's my view on on billionaires I'm a hundred percent in favor of ex expropriating all their wealth above a billion dollars. You find me one good billionaire and I'll I'll back off. You find me one billionaire who fights for individual rights in America, and then I'll I'll back off that policy. What about but until me, you Ed? can you're a billionaire? You didn't know that? <laughs> oh well, I'm I, I'm gonna ask for more money like Hunter. You Hunter's should. Uh, Hunter's what uh, Hunter's uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm paying yeah. his child support. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to care about billionaires when billionaires care about me. And so far, if you just name one, name one, name, you know, one. And I'll say I'm not in favor of this policy. But it's, until someone can name a billionaire who cares about the United States, who cares about uh, people other than the WEF crew, that I'm going to say sign my ass up for expropriating all their money. I mean, we're just getting very um, we're not hiding the stealing money from people very well anymore. Which yeah, is stealing think, money. It's it's the punishing success. They're reveling oh, in oh, punishing. Yes. Yeah, and we, we, there's no pretense left. I mean, I think in a functioning country, Bernie Sanders should be tarred and feathered for just saying that. I assume he meant but, to take the money from Mike Bloomberg and those kind of people. I mean, it it also suggests how far gone we are. That we, you know, we're sitting here throwing our hands up. Oh, what, what could be done about Biden with his late you know, this latest edict on, on mortgage rates. Well, if we had the system we're supposed to have, he wouldn't get away with that because it's totally unconstitutional. Nobody passed a law. You know, so I'm going to say, I'm going to blame this one on the media like everything else, but, and I don't know, is this challengeable in court? That this, or is this part of- well, I think, the, power this, I think the mortgage thing would be challengeable in court because obviously there is someone who has standing, the person who is getting the 1%, uh, right. uh, but you know, my understanding is they, they went through the normal rule, you know, notice and comment period. And they, they actually, this is part of an, uh, uh, an agency rule. And, uh, 
I think that the agency has the power to, you know, the 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 agency, the housing and urban development has the power to decide how to make loans through uh, through HUD. So, Ed, I'm um, going to ask you to give us your 60 second uh, explanation of Chevron and how this new case may influence that, and is that going to impact this possibly? Chevron is a it comes from a case in 1984 that the Supreme Court decided. It involved a federal uh, executive agency rulemaking. Uh, as as Mike was just saying, you know, no Congress, you know, Congress didn't pass a law. Uh, but what happens is Congress passes laws that just delegate rulemaking to these agencies, and the agencies basically make the laws and. They have to go through a notice and comment period. They have to subject them to public scrutiny. That's administrative law, but the agency makes a law, you know, like Congress will just say the federal government is going to make, you know, mortgage loans to homeowners. Well, on what terms, who, which homeowners, which homes, how are they going to do it? And they'll just, all those details get put into rulemaking by the agency, by housing and urban development. And in, in order for those rules to become effectively law, it has to go through the notice and comment period. Chevron says, if Congress has directly spoken to an issue, you know, like for instance, if Congress had said mortgages shall be made at 5% interest, the agency can't deviate from that. However, if the statute is either silent or ambiguous, then the agency has to come up with what's called a permissible construction of the statute. And as long as the agency rule is a permissible construction of the statute, even if it's a bad interpretation, as long as it's a permissible reading of what Congress wrote, the courts will not second guess it. It's it's the unfortunately, it's 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 what bites conservatives in the butt, because we are the ones who always say judges shouldn't second guess legislatures. However, this is this would be judges second guessing unelected bureaucrats, which I think is a different issue. Uh, but ultimately, the, the bureaucrats are the ones acting pursuant to the legislators' authority. And the courts basically, the, the Chevron decision says, courts don't get to second guess what the bureaucrats come up with. Even if we think there's a better interpretation of the statute, as long as the interpretation that the agency arrived at and went through the notice and comment period as long as that interpretation is a permissible construction of what Congress meant, courts won't disturb it. Now, how can this case be impactful? That doctrine is what's being challenged here. Uh, the plaintiffs are saying courts should give more scrutiny and should give less deference to a bureaucrat. That's basically what's going on. Now, I guess you know, you're blaming conservatives and, and maybe you have a good reason that we tell the courts to butt out. But in the end, it's really the voters' fault because we let Congress write these ridiculously vague things and hold no power back for themselves, knowing that they don't like making any rules. Um, Ed, could you answer question one yeah. thing? I, I always thought Chevron also relied on the fact that um, the court should defer to the government experts when it comes to like scientific and technical questions. And that's, 
that's where I, I think, you know, obviously I don't agree with that because they're all, it's all a cult, there, but um, there are some is cases, that part of, yeah. of Chevron too? It's part of it. There are some cases that came after Chevron that sort of elaborate and build on that. But yes, the, the reason that the bureaucrats are given deference, even though they're not legislators, is that they're supposedly experts appointed by the president and they have special expertise. And once again, we're judges. We don't know environmental law. We don't know housing law. We don't know, you know, that's not our expertise. We're lawyers, not environmentalists. So we're going to defer to the scientists at the EPA or the scientists at the NIH. And so when all of these, uh, you know, organizations, the government organizations are, are captured by the various industries that they control, um, you get, uh, you get these absurd alleged expert things like, you know, all of the COVID stuff and the masks and all of that. Um, and without overturning Chevron, there's really no way to fight it. In fact, I don't even know how, like, well, you know, it, the, the masks were overturned on, you know, in a very, very technical uh, reading of the law uh, that gave, the CDC, all of this power, it, 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 but it only gave it to power over sick people, not over well people. And that's kind of why the mask rule was thrown out. But the truth of the matter is, um, I don't want CDC having any power over sick people either, because I don't think they actually have the, um, I don't think their quote unquote science is right. Well, see, I think that the court is probably, I think Chevron is probably right insofar as it goes because I don't like judges second guessing either Congress or even supposed experts appointed by the president or a legislative agency even. However, to me, I think the, play, the, the choke point for me would be the non-delegation doctrine, which says Congress can't delegate rulemaking. Congress is the one that has to pass laws. To me, that's the, the point that I would go after I don't know if that issue is going to be raised in, in this case. And I mean, even if it's not fully raised, it's possible that it can be brought up, whether as part of dicta or, I mean, sometimes courts go further than they're supposed to. How is that integral? How is that not integral to the whole Chevron decision? Well, it, because it, if, if that issue is not before the court, if the issue isn't can Congress delegate this? If the sole issue is, should judges second guess the elected branches? I'm sort of partial to the idea that judges shouldn't second guess those branches and that that they that Chevron is probably correct, I think. Okay, so okay, no one me, ever challenged it on the non-delegation principle? Um, yeah, there's lots of case law on it and the courts have ruled against us on that, but that's where I th I would love to see. That's what I. That's where I think the battle should be fought. But what and, about my my argument that it you know it's our fault? We're stupid and we let Congress do this, and the more we let them do it, the more they do it. I mean, ultimately, yes, voters do have a responsibility, but it's just it's. I mean, have you ever? I don't know how politically active you guys are, but it's really hard to get change like that. I mean, 
there's so many layers of government, so many layers of bureaucracy. I mean, even if you throw the bums out in an election, that doesn't change the bureaucracy. I mean, the bureaucracy is still there. They're still making laws. They're still enforcing old rules. What what I hate is that if if they follow the Administrative Procedure Act and give notice and comment and whatnot, then Dr. Fauci is the science. And that's equivalent throughout the whole um, United States and uh, government. And I think that's just absurd. I I don't know why you can't uh, have the, you know, juries be triers of fact in these cases. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, global warming or any of the COVID stuff or any of the other cultish um, behavior well, that, that I goes think on. That's part of what's at issue in this case. I mean, if if the courts are, are if if the Supreme Court decides we shouldn't give so much deference to the so-called experts in the agencies, then, yes, it would become a jury question. OK, so. This administrative. Well, that's the same as they be ruled by the first hundred names in the Boston telephone directory rather than Congress. And, I'm, you know, again, yeah, we're, uh, we'd love that, but we're, that's not the. But that's what a jury is, right? Wait, wait a minute. Why, is, Stephen, why would you say you'd love that? You just said it's the voters' fault. It's because that would be a lot better. It would problem. be a lot better than what we have because anything would be better than the corrupt, the corruptocrats that we have now. You know, you don't like the judges either. No, I I don't like them. But if we were voting for decent people in Congress, laws would not be written in these ridiculously open ended ways. The secretary determined the secretary can do this. The agency can do that. It would be written tight. If you want to take the Waters Act, ban puddles in somebody's backyard, you need to come back to Congress. Let me give you three proposals. Number one, I already said. The, the non-delegation doctrine should be revived and Congress should be the one who has to pass all these laws. Number two, we should have civil service reform. Bureaucrats should not be uh, tied to their jobs. They should be fired at will, just like anybody else. Um, and what was the third? Oh, and sunset provisions. This this notion that, that a Congress in, in 1884 can pass a law and we're still bound by it today. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that that ele- elevates a statute to the level of constitutional law. And what was the Reagan quote that nothing lasts longer than a temporary law or something? Go- government program. Nothing. There's nothing as permanent as a temporary. Temporary. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Those are the three proposals I would like to see implemented. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, they've abdicated their legislative authority effectively to the executive branch, right? I mean- <laughs> They've given it up. So, yeah. Exactly. So, so it, there's no there's no reason for the courts to have deference. It's not it's not a legislative. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Um, and Congress doesn't want the power and the truth is the president doesn't want it. Everybody wants to be able to blame it on the faceless. Right. Now, what is this period of notice to the public and all that crap? Did you get a letter in the mail asking about this? <laughs> No, but they publish it in the Federal Register. Oh, my and God. You know, I just forgot to read that this morning. Uh-huh. Who, who in the world knows that it even exists? Much less. OK, well, that's that. easy because I've done comments on, you know, a few dozen. Well, how uh, do you even know proposals. there's something out there? You check it every day. 
Or no, the interest group checks it. It's mostly yeah. gun. It's mostly gun regulations. So I'll get an alert from GOA, and it'll give me a link, and I put my comment in. And uh, they, they, the GOA is nice. They actually pre-write the comment, and they say, "Well, put this in or make it your own and put it." In. And I always change it a little bit, and make it my own. I put it in, and it makes no difference because they okay. are going to do what they uh, are exactly. going to do. But so I had I had a conversation with our fearless leader a few weeks ago because he testifies a ton in Concord in the state legislature there, and very very often in committees. And I would like somebody to give me one instance in the last 50 years where any committee changed the vote based on the fact that a thousand people came in there and, quote, testified for or against a bill. They couldn't care less what anybody says. If you're lucky, they will sit there half politely and not fall asleep in the middle. So all of these, you know, time to comment and all this stuff, it doesn't say they have to care about your comments. No, but they are supposed to they are supposed to take them into account and respond to them. They have to respond well, to them. Yes. What does absolutely. that mean? Respond and, to them? and they write something that responds to the comments. Now, when like GOA sends out this, you know, mass mailing to all of their members or NRA or somebody, and we all dutifully fill in the comments, the response will be a bulk response. You know, many members of the public said X, and our response is Y, and many members of the public said. You know, Z and our response is Q, that sort of thing. So they don't have to respond to each individual. Uh, Well, the response can be whatever they want it to be, but generally they try to um, justify their their actions based on the complaint. So it's a document that they produce that responds, a web page that they produce that responds to the complaint. We disagree with the concerns or the concerns will be alleviated by this other part of the law or... Now, now they can just do chat GB, GPT and get a response out to you. Right. Yeah, basically. Well, they can say our comments came from chat GPT. So that's, you know, that's better. For well, the mass comments are common, right? I mean, because suppose they're going to do an environmental regulation or, or something like that. Then the NRDC has this mailing list and they send it out to all their members and their members dutifully go in just like I do for the gun rights stuff. And they, uh, you know, make their comments and. And that's kind of how it works. Um, as far as do they ever change it, they do occasionally change it based on pressure from the public. Um, I know it seems unlikely, but they do. And right. it's mostly due to lobbying rather than actual public comment. Is lobbying but, Latin for money? What's that? Lobbying, that's Latin for money. Yeah, something like that. No, it's not for money. It's it's uh, we can bring public pressure to bear on this particular issue. Um, and you know, there are obviously. But, but, but look, how, how do we end up with regulations stacked up to the moon? Because more, yeah, more often than, than not, most people are either not paying attention, and it's just being done on every single day. And on most issues, I, I would venture to guess that the left is much more motivated than, than the right on these issues, especially when it comes to environmental issues. I mean, I live with that in Trenton where we go through the same kinds of things where they have their uh, environmental agencies, whether when I was fighting cap and trade in New Jersey, I mean, there's constantly stuff and there's no way in the world, especially for those of us on the right that have a hard time fighting anything, right? That we're going to be fighting all these rules that are being thrown out there every every day this doesn't happen it's not going to happen 
Right. So I'm going to go back to if you don't hold your own Congress people to the fire, A, you have no chance and B, I don't know what excuse you have. Now, I happen to believe you don't have that much influence over who gets elected to Congress, but that's another yeah. level. But, you know, I mean, Trump, didn't Trump get a, rid of a lot of uh, regulations? In his first he time? allegedly oh, he says, I don't see it. I don't. <laughs> It would it wouldn't matter because if he if he gets rid of two for every new one, and we started out with fourteen trillion, we're mm -hmm. still going to have five trillion. It, it there, like you said, Mike. There's so many regulations of which so few people are even aware. So we go from you know Protect Borders Act to No Puddles in Your Backyard Act, and who can fight that? And you said all oh, the same thing. The onslaught is so nonstop in ruling us to death, and nickel and diamond. No question. So. All right, let's get yeah. to the important part. He has sent swarms of officials to eat out our, you know, that's that's the. Yes. Okay. Was Tucker fired? What do you apparently mean? not. Apparently he was uh, apparently still employed under contract. He's just not allowed to go on the air. That is what Megyn Kelly has said. And I tend to believe her given that she was um, put in the same situation by NBC News after she from that, that, that has to be an interesting contractual agreement there right i mean is there i don't know if my boss said to me you know when i was employee if my boss said to me your job uh is to go into this uh you know room and do nothing for eight hours a day and you'll get paid for it no by the way we have this contract so you have to do what we say until it runs out um obviously you have grounds for some sort of Man. lawsuit there but uh, you basically want what to grounds you have for a lawsuit. Um, no grounds for a lawsuit, you have no damages. Well, they can't. Uh, they can't. Um, if you break the contract, they can't demand specific performance of you sitting in a in the thing. So it's basically you go to say, "I'm I'm going to break this lawsuit." So let's get out of it. And that's the thing. They they can't demand you do nothing. Uh, they or, or they can't well, get specific performance. They can only get damages. And right now, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I, I, I think, gonna, you know, the damages they would get from Tucker are, well, you know, he's going to take away their audience. But I mean, they let him go for another month without producing any content and their audience is going to be in the toilet. And so they, they're not going to have a whole lot of. I don't think they're going to have, I don't think they'd have damages. And, and honestly, yeah. to me, I think this is the blueprint for how to circumvent these civil service rules and to get rid of bureaucrats. If you're a Republican governor or a Republican president and you can't fire these guys, pay them their salary and put them in a room and embarrass them. Put TV cameras yeah. in the room and let the whole country see them playing on the internet and doing nothing all day. That's the way to, to deal with it. If no, you it can't doesn't work with teachers in rubber law. rooms. I don't think well, that would matter. I mean, I they do matter they that they're not in New York trouble, City. But. In New York City, they put teachers, sex offenders and whatnot in some room and continue to pay them. And they're happy to keep there. There are, I think, the Schedule F thing that Trump was trying to do, you know, the, the, the policymakers in the middle, not the janitors or the whatnot, where um, the people who actually make the policy, um, being able to fire them is, is important. Um, it's not clear that the clerks and the secretaries and the janitors and whatnot need to be fired. Um, although maybe. No, although, but, in, you know, in many states, I don't know how the breakdown is, but 
every employee is at will. And I'm not quite sure why federal people should be any different than that. Because they're unionized. And they, they should and be because the civil service laws, even even yeah. FDR said they shouldn't be unionized. Yeah. And of course, there's lots of bureaucrats who do nothing. Right. I mean, they they, they generate paper and they do studies. Uh, Lauren Southern did a, a short documentary on the on the homelessness problem in Vancouver. And she talked about the, the hordes of bureaucrats who do nothing but study homelessness and put out reports on how we can fight homelessness. And uh, those just, are probably you know, the, the, the most the best bureaucrats we have. They they generate study after study, getting paid $100,000 a year or more. And of course the homelessness problem just gets worse and worse. So, I mean, those those are bureaucrats that do nothing. And I'm sure the United States has, you know, and all the individual states, you know, you know, every DEI person can be fired immediately tomorrow, you know, in the public and private sector and nothing bad would happen. Um, you know, in fact, lots of good would happen. So, I mean, that's the kind of bureaucracy that you need to be able to fire. And in fact, whoever the next president is, if he doesn't go in, especially the military, and say, okay, everybody with a DEI job is now doing something else in the whole, you know, in the whole federal government. Um, if he doesn't do that, um, then he's just part of the uniparty that we all understand, that there's really not any, you know, so that's what the, uh, the guy Vivek, however he pronounces his name, he's the one talking. Rama Murthy. Yeah. yeah. Firing everybody. Yeah, he's a good guy. I like him. He has no chance. You know, the thing is, the weird thing is, the Democrats, again, I'm going to go off a little bit on Kennedy. The, the Democrats are, are teetering right now, right? Because Biden is, you know, Biden's winning 65% of the vote for Biden, Democratic vote, and 20% for Kennedy, and 10% for Marion Williamson, crazy or whatnot. But what if something happens to Biden? Kennedy is prepositioning himself <laughs> to be the second choice, right? And uh, Newsom um, isn't. If they, play by, if they play by the rules, but the Democrats don't play by the rules. So. Yeah, I know they don't play. You, by you the know, rules, you, know still, you know, something would happen, right? It's still a very interesting situation. Obviously, Biden, uh, Kennedy is not going to be Biden in the primaries because, but if something happens to Biden, I mean, I, you know, something medical happens to Biden, um, more than what's already happened. Uh, you know, Kennedy is positioning himself to be the alternative. I, you know, I, didn't, have a, I didn't have a top story of the week, but maybe the 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 two parties' positions on debates might be the big story of the week. I don't know. All right, Ed, first what, they're me, not going to have any. I want to ask you a question so you can yell at me. The Constitution lists as criteria to run for president over 35 resident in the United States for 14 straight years, correct? Nothing else? Um, I don't like think it's that. resident yeah. for 14 years. I think it's natural born citizen. Or 14 yeah. years. The, but you also have to be here for a certain amount of time or something. 14 years at the time of the ratification, which has passed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it does not say there you have to be breathing. I don't know. Good question. It certainly doesn't say you have to have any mental activity going right, on. That's the 25th Amendment. But you know what? They'll say it's okay if he's dead. So what? <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds absolutely insane. I, I don't think he's halfway there already. So. I mean, I don't think we have Wilson who is half dead yet. It, I mean... <laughs> You know, speaking of speaking of that requirement, though, I, I think that the the Florida legislature 
passing that resign to run law was superfluous because I think that the state requirement was unconstitutional as an additional requirement above and beyond what the constitution requires. But I don't think, I don't look at it that way. It's not a requirement to be president. It's a requirement to be governor and they can make any requirement to be governor they want. You can't be governor if you're doing another job. They don't have a problem with that. I'm actually kind of in favor of that. I had an argument with somebody about it. I don't think that's a bad law. I think it's ridiculous that senators and governors can take a year off of their jobs and do nothing but campaign. The retort was they can work while they're campaigning, but I don't really believe that's true. I think campaigning is a full-time sport. So I also, you know, one of the challenges I had to that was, was this like Florida making a law for one person? But the answer was no, they they exempted the office, et cetera, et cetera. That if, as long as you're running for a national office, it's okay. Because I mean, if I were a Democrat, I'd be a little bit up in arms for that. There's nothing the Democrats, the Democrats can do. Didn't the Democrats pass it years ago to try and prevent Charlie Crist from running for president? Yeah, something I mean, like he was exempted or something from, yes. The whole thing is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of nasty making laws like that. I, in principle, I really agree with it. Why? What they should do is if you want to be governor while you run for president, please don't take a salary. Why is it about I the don't money? Know. I mean, it, you, to you, me, it's you'd about be surprised how you able to how... do the job. You'd be surprised how little work is necessary to do any of these jobs. I don't know. I think DeSantis has has been pretty involved the last few months. I think there's been the Florida legislature has been churning out good stuff and he's been signing good stuff. So, I mean, he's working. He's definitely doing something as far as that goes. But I just think taking off a year to campaign, if your job entails so little, we don't really need a full time governor, do we? We don't. Thank you. Probably not. I'm glad you I'm glad you agree with that. I, I mean, the, the Virginia legislature is in session for two months, uh, January and February, and then if there hasn't, if there's no budget uh, passed, then they're another month in June, and that's it. That's the entire legislative calendar. And as far as the governor is concerned, yeah, during the legislature session, he's out there trying to get his stuff passed. But I mean, what does the governor do? I mean, what do you? What does he do? Right. I mean, he doesn't do anything. Well, I think I mean, actually, I think that. The the limited legislative calendar is a relic from a bygone era, the, the, the governor and more importantly, his subordinates and all the state agencies are wreaking havoc all year long. And if the legislature is yeah. not in session, then there's no way for, to, to rein them in. I mean, you know, well, all the- these covid all these covid restrictions were being implemented either by executive order or through, you know, the Department of Health. Yeah, the only thing, I agree with you in principle, Ed, but as we've seen, at least in New Hampshire and probably other states, even if they would be in session, the governor has ways of uh, keeping them out of, you know, pulling power away from him. Even New Hampshire really didn't succeed in doing much with his emergency orders, even when supposedly they were in session. So I kind of agree with you. And yes, it should be that, there's two months worth of lawmaking because for God's sake, how many laws do we need every year? I've never understood that. I mean, we've been running for 270 years or something. Why do we always need new laws? Well, I mean, they need the budget passed. Um, because you know, well, they, Congress doesn't pass budget, so forget that. So, I mean, but they pass. Yeah, re- but that's it. That's all they do. Right. I mean, that, you know, that's they spend money you know, that they don't earn, that they take from people. And that's basically offices. At least the president of the United States has a 
a foreign policy job that given the fact, not, not that Biden's doing it particularly well, um, but given the fact um, that he does, and it is, it is like a full-time job to deal with all of the different countries and alliances and you know trade disputes and and land disputes and and all of that and you know ambassadors and this government wants us to do that and this government wants us to do that i mean that's a full time job being head of the foreign policy establishment that said governors don't have to do that so i mean you know if if um desantis wants to take a year off and run i don't think florida will notice you know, speaking of budgets, the the debt ceiling bill was this this week. That was kind of a big story. Mm-hmm. But it's and not. I mean, a meet a week from from yesterday. What what are your predictions, if any? I mean, is are the Republicans going to get even a nickel of concessions here? No, the prediction is the is the usual prediction. The Republicans will give in. Okay. Yeah. No, they'll be bipartisan, Ed. Bipartisan giving in. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, although most you have to re- I don't remember most Ed's, Ed's new motto for the Republican Party, the Caven Party. But I mean, a lot of people are surprised that McCarthy's gone as far as he has. So, I mean, I think that was part of the deal when he got uh, elected speaker that he would, you know, fight till the end before giving up, as opposed <laughs> to giving up before fighting. You remind me of uh, Cheaper by the Dozen when he says he'll hang up on himself. Yeah. By the way, those you know, books I, I are shared, 10 I, times better than a, the movies. I shared a couple articles and, and, and videos with you guys about the, you know, the banking crisis that's that keeps deepening. And we had another bank failure this week. It's possible that the economy could sort of go into a tailspin and put, put yeah. the put the Republicans on their heels about, you know, if you don't, you know, if you threaten a default, you know, if, if the Democrats threaten a default. You know, it might spook the markets. I mean, that might be how it's playing out. And it, it might play out that they want it to default. I mean, the Democrats are, I mean, we talked about the that housing proposal, you know, the, you know, they're, they're attacking success. They're, they're destroyers and they may want to default on the debt. So I think that there's a lot of stuff that's going to be written. You know, the, that battle is, is a big battle coming up and it's going to come up in June. You know, I just want to, I'm going to cut you off. I want to give a shout out to Ed Maslish Ripken, because if you go back and listen to our old shows from the past, we had many, many conversations about what's going to cause CBDC. And one voice in the wilderness kept yelling banking crisis. I don't know how it's going to happen that there's going to be a banking crisis. And I think we have to remember Ed was pretty much right on. That we are if you remember even before we started our shows in in May of of 2020 and uh, in February of 2020 you and I were talking Stephen and I I pulled all my money out of the banking system I, you know I I've been thinking that we're in a banking crisis since 2020 it's been papered over with a bunch of money printing but um, we, we've been in a very bad situation with the banks for a while and I, it, I mean it really yeah. traces back. To, to 2008 and even sure. long-term crap, capital in 1998. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one of the things you've harped on way back, even when absolutely nobody saw it that way. So I think it's kind of interesting that you, you were the first one yelling banking crisis. And, and obviously this giving another bank to Chase 
And, you know, the big four or big five get bigger and bigger and bigger and what that portends. Again, is anybody except for the few crazy people like us who follow this stuff, even noticing that little banks are going to get swallowed up more and more Pac-Man style, and then it'll just be the big four or five controlling everything and we have nothing. So, And it's not just that they'll be controlling everything and we have nothing. The whole, To me, the whole point of that is... You know, the big banks like Bank of America, we already know, was has been giving information to the government. They're all collaborating with the government. The only objectors, the only ones who are going to resist are the small banks. That's why they need to have them all swallowed up. And that's why they need to have. I mean, these... that's, what, that's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be really easy to control those few banks, which they probably control anyway. And is anybody watching and caring? And are even Republicans talking about how bad this is? No, they're not I don't aware think of it. I, I I don't think they are. I mean, another bank failed uh, today or yesterday, right? Um, uh, I Besides forget First what Republic, it, you, maybe I'm thinking of First Republic, but I thought I saw something this morning. But um, you know, these aren't small banks. These are, and you know, my the, the limited money I have is in um, a, a mid-sized bank, um, but a privately owned one, which means that. Uh, you have no idea by looking at the stock price how the bank is doing, but I don't have more than the FDIC insurer. So it's, you know, it is what it is. I doubt that I'm gonna, you know, lose, uh, you know, lose money. But I do think that CBDC is definitely on the agenda. The, the thing is that my argument with Ed remains the same. I don't think the American public, I, rather, I don't think a section of the American public and a pretty large section of that will um, will agree with the uh, CBDC mm -hmm. and something else will, you know, start being used as, as cash if cash is withdrawn. Well, yeah, some people, I, I, some people have no choice because if you're a criminal and you're in the underground economy, and there is a you're not huge, going to digital it, it's not it's not just criminals, right? Yeah, it is criminals, right? It's drugs and prostitution and illegal gambling and all of that. But it's also all of these millions and millions of of immigrants that come mm -hmm. in who don't trust banks. They don't have banks in Guatemala. I mean, they don't use banks in Guatemala. They get paid in cash. So, My grandfather. Yeah. I was just going through his some of his personal effects the other day. He was paid every week in it with a little envelope with cash in it. And a couple of those envelopes survived. Um, that's that's what happened. Yeah. You know, and that's what happens in a lot of these countries. And I and that's gonna still happen. I mean, I, I once remember driving down it wasn't Palo Alto, but it was one of it was one of those towns near there. And I was it, I was driving there at like six thirty in the morning, which I know that's not my time. But there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men, all Mexican, Central American, just waiting around on the street corners, just waiting. They're all day laborers, and uh, they're looking for jobs. They're looking for somebody to take them. I I couldn't believe it. You know, I just, I literally could not believe it. It was not something you see um, every day in, in where I come from. And those people aren't paid in, uh, you know, digital currency. If they're not, they're not, they're not given W, you know, W-2s. 
They're paying cash. At the end okay, of the so day. they'll make the law will be that anybody who doesn't speak fluent Spanish has to use CBDC. Yeah, well, that is the anarcho tyranny that marks uh, the United mm -hmm. States right now is that, you know, Americans and white Americans and straight Americans and whatnot uh, have to follow all the rules down to the little dotting the I's and crossing the T's and the favored groups uh, can get away literally with murder. But there are a lot of people in the favored groups, a lot. So again, it goes would, back to- Why would these immigrants object if the federal government gives them a Fed card? I mean, do they object to getting a green card? Uh, they object to uh, getting anything that allows them to be tracked. I mean, we, we understand that Biden is not following the law. In fact, is, is violating the law viciously. But obviously, the, you know, the illegals do not want anything that could bring the uh, immigration services down on them. And that's one of the reasons why they take jobs in cash, because they can't be tracked. Um, yeah, but, so and I, I think we're kind of making the point that the government doesn't um, deport illegals anymore. And there's nothing wrong with being illegal. And there's nothing wrong with being openly illegal. So if the government says, we'll give you this and promise not to punish you in any way, that takes that argument away. On top of that, I mean, Ed, these guys, they, they all get government benefits. Why why would yeah. you say that they're afraid of the government? They, They'll probably they be comping them and putting a thousand dollars into their CBD. Great. I mean, <laughs> to get them started. Right. <laughs> That's not funny, Mike. I think they would. Why not? I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that to all of us to entice us all to get into it. Well, Ed, you said that a very long time ago. That one of the ways they'll do it is by giving mm -hmm. something. Bribing, yes. But Ed, I mean, like I said, they you know they already receive government benefits. Why wouldn't they accept yeah. a government Fed card? I mean, in fact, you, you can get your your you know food stamps and your welfare payments with a with a debit card now. That's yeah, true. You know what? We're giving illegals um, smartphones, so it's <laughs> not like they can't have you know digital wallets and stuff. Why should they be? Afraid of being tracked down. Who's going to be doing that now? Anyway, once, once well, I mean, again, if you once they're here, it, I don't see them being thrown out by anybody. Yeah, well, they've been thrown out before, and even Obama threw out uh, tons of illegals um, and, until fourteen, when yeah. it became impossible. But I, you know, it depends. You know, they don't. I don't think the illegal immigrants. Well, I mean, the Holocaust was eighty years ago, and. Jewish people are still panicked about anti-Semitism, and rightly so. This, you know, millions of deportations happened 10 years ago. And so illegal aliens are still panicked about deportation. So it's not, it's not on let me put it like this, Ed. Misunderstanding. Let me put it like this. Democrats don't love any people, and high on that list is, is illegal immigrants. They use people. And yeah. they're using illegal immigrants for a purpose. The central bank digital currency is going to achieve most of their purposes. Once they get that and they get the ability to track us all, they aren't going to care so much about illegal immigrants, just like they don't care about gays too much anymore because they've got trans, you know, transgenders, right? They move right. on once somebody, once a group is no longer useful to them. So I, I'm, I'm not so... I'm kind of skeptical that they're going to be so worried about the illegals. 
Another point to invoke John Galt is they don't pass these laws other than to make all of us into criminals. And then they just decide, well, we're not going to bother those people. We're only going to arrest those people or we're just going to hold it over your head because overnight CBDC would make every single person a criminal. And then there is going to have to be a phase in period. Absolutely. But you try to get your clearance for government jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll just tie that to your mortgages and everything else will knock 200 points off your credit score if you don't use CBDC. I mean, there's so many easy ways that they could do it if they want. Again, my fear is that a Republican doesn't get elected in 2024 because I, I think it's game over if a Republican doesn't get elected. And I'm not quite sure how that will happen. If Biden survives, even they can carry him over the finish line. I don't know that he's beatable right now because of the press. Even the people on the street who say, well, we wouldn't vote for him again because he's too old. They're not voting for a Republican. I don't know. Even if it's a fair fight, Republicans have their work cut out because of the electoral map. Yeah, I mean... Democrats are not going to vote for a Republican. That, that's all I'm saying. The diehards, they're not changing their minds because of that. No. No, the number of people identifying as independent, this poll came out just the other day, is 49%. 49%. So don't think, yeah, you can say the Democrats are not going to vote for Republicans. That is absolutely true. That's 25% of the people. And the Republicans aren't going to vote for Democrats. That's the other 25%. But 50% are independents and they potentially will. I think it's probably more like 10% that really swing back and forth that bother to vote. And and that's enough. And then they only have to cheat 2% out of the 10. Yeah. that That's I'm not. They don't even have to cheat 2%. They they only cheat. And I mean, when they cheat, they cheat in specific areas. Right. It's targeted cheating. Targeted chief. I want to bring up one more issue because it was another story about it and we haven't talked about it. And as a libertarian, I'm slightly caught up. So it's Tennessee, I believe, and North Carolina, or at least two states who are fighting selling agricultural land to China. Mm-hmm. And bothers my libertarian side, makes my conservative, my conservative side quite happy. What, if anything, is the solution to China buying up America, literally buying all the farmland? Oh, that's easy. If we ever get into a war, we just confiscate it all. It's not the it's the factories that they're buying up that matter, not the land. Sell them the whole west of the United States. I don't really care because all that will happen is the moment they attack Taiwan, that'll all get confiscated. I couldn't care less. Um, that's not that's not so much important. First of all, well, I mean, I don't know that we would nationalize land. And second of all, if they move enough of their people there, then you'll get all the liberals saying we can't deport their people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When Russia invaded Ukraine, Ukraine. the United States government stole Russia's um, dollar-backed sovereign wealth. um, That U.S. government had absolutely no business doing that. I don't care, unless they attacked the United States. They had no business doing that over a border dispute in Eastern Europe, but they stole it all. The idea that the U.S. government wouldn't steal foreign-owned property uh, if we got into a war with China. Remember that the fact that we're an oligarchy doesn't mean all of the oligarchs agree with one another. 
I mean, that's certainly true in Russia. It's certainly true in Ukraine. It's certainly true in the United States. There is a big pro-war faction in the United States. Of course, they're mostly pro-war with Russia um, rather than uh, China because they're all on the take. But there is a, a, a very much a pro-war um, with China. And I think China, you know, has a lot of it's, it's China's fault by, you know, Xi pushing reunification with Taiwan um, in this his third in this his third term. So I mean that's what he said, and that's kind of gotten everybody panicked. Um, if they had just gone gone on, you know, with the status quo, I, I I think the United States would still be a wholly owned subsidiary. A government would be a wholly owned subsidiary of China. But there are people who are not in favor of that. So. Yeah, I don't so much care about them buying land. They give us a ton of stuff and we give them these little green pieces of paper. What do we expect them to do with the green pieces of paper other than buy stuff from us? Well, we don't make no, any. buy treasuries. So they buy U.S. debt. Yeah, but they're dumping that and now they're buying private things. Um, so now they're buying land. Now, yeah, I, I think we should have large tariffs on on Chinese goods so that we get rid of the, you know, we produce more things uh, locally or in friendly countries and get rid of this huge deficit. But I, in principle, they give us stuff, we give them green pieces of paper. They're gonna try and use those green pieces of paper to buy things. And if we don't make anything that we sell to them, what they're gonna do is buy stock in American companies and control corporate boards, they're going to buy politicians, they're going to buy um, land, they're going to buy factories, they're, you know, they're going to buy stuff in the United States. Okay, so let me let me stipulate that they, if they owned land, we would quote, nationalize it. But that's if they owned it outright. But if they own it through, you know, dummy companies, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, there's really not much we can do. Probably not. I just want not to get back to what Ed was saying. I, Ed, I agree with you 100%. Yes, the solution is high tariffs on Chinese goods. I would go even further and say we need to be breaking economic relations with them. And, you know, we, you know, there's this, this talk in the financial community about this development of this BRICS network, the, you know, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And they're trying to, you know, in response to the U.S. confiscation of Russian wealth and kicking Russia out of the SWIFT payment system, these other countries are saying we should just set up an alternative payment system and basically end U.S. dollar hegemony. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's going it, to the more that they push us out of their little, you know, they set up their own alternative system. By default, they're pushing us to become more independent. And I think that's exactly what we need. It's it's going to lead to some very bad short term pain, but they're 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 yeah. Forcing I mean, I think if we, we did it over anyway. two or three, I think if we did over two or three years. I think it would be uh, much better. Um, you know, where we say, okay, we're going to increase the tariffs on Chinese good ten percent a month, um, and. Uh, you know, or even 5% a month, I don't care, just something, you know, gradual, so that the, you know, American entrepreneurs have a chance to, uh, um, to ship their capital 
budgets towards uh, capitalizing things in the United States or, you know, hell, Indonesia or New Zealand or some place that's not China, I think that would be a, a, um, better. But if we did it all at once, of course, which is going to, what's going to happen, by the way, if um, the United States gets into a war with China, I mean, that's going to be cut off immediately. That's not going to be a, a minor inconvenience. I mean, that's, you know, half the American economy is going to drag to a halt because we can't get stuff. Think about our hospitals. Um, gym, I mean, we, can't get, we won't be able to get antibiotics. I mean, surgeries are going to come yeah. to a stop. And I'm listening in the gym to these congressional hearings lately where they've been ripping into nominees and various officers in the government about, you don't let us mine cobalt, you don't let us mine nickel, you don't let us mine lithium, you're letting everybody else. But if we're not going to do that, we can't survive without a couple of other countries. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, you know, I obviously don't want the, the United States to fall. Um, but uh, if we suddenly stopped, um, you know, trading with China tomorrow, because they attack Taiwan, um, it, it's going to make the Great Depression look like a picnic in the park. And it's, it's, and the government, the government, as we know it, the, the government that's vaguely associated with the Constitution is not going to last. Um, the regime is going to fall. And what replaces it, you know, I don't know. I mean, some sort of dictatorship, Caesarism or something. I don't know. But I mean, I that's mean, the problem. Aren't, aren't the economic ties that we have them, isn't it in some way a hedge against anything serious happening between our two countries? I mean, no, I don't think so. I, I, On top of that, you know, complete, we were, in you the prior complete... segment, in the prior segment, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say in the prior segment, we were talking about banking crisis and, you know, oftentimes banking crisis and war go together and one or both of them is is enough to create the kind of regime change that Ed is talking about. And maybe that's part of the the kamikaze mission that the Biden administration is doing to us. You know, maybe that thinks that they're ready to become dictators of this country. There is one um, thing that I read, like with regard to the central central bank digital currency is that in North Dakota, there is a state chartered public bank. States are allowed to charter banks. And in this case, it's a bank owned by the government of North Dakota. And it's where the governor of North Dakota puts all its money. They don't put it in Chase or, or city or whatever. They put it in this state chartered government bank. Now, of course, I don't want government banks anymore than I want anything else. But but it's still a way into the to, Federal Reserve System. It's a way to push back on the um, CBDC on a state level rather than on a federal level. So there is, a, I, I, again, you know. Why would the feds leave the states with that kind of power? Because the Constitution leaves them with that kind of power. Oh, and, and it would be hard. Them? Well, if the regime falls, of course, every, I mean, all bets are off. But right now, the Constitution gives them that power. Even and in the, the state courts, of emergency? Yeah, even in a state of emergency. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So uh, somebody just shared a story. I actually saw this story earlier today. You know, talk about the United States manning up and fighting back. United States Navy hires active duty drag queen to be face of recruitment drive. I don't know if you like that story. I, I swear to God. 
we aren't going to have the strongest soldiers. We aren't going to have the toughest soldiers. We aren't going to have the winningest soldiers. But by God, our POWs will be the gayest in the history of mankind. <laughs> I, I, we're just not going in the right direction here. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, in those POW camps in China, they are going to have a lot of good entertainment. That's for sure. Now they send us oh. Shen Yun and, and we send them our uh, our entertainment. Yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic idea. So maybe we should just um, surrender to begin with and just send all these people there. And What is there to surrender? I mean, we could surrender no, Taiwan. Surrender our drag queens. Yeah, yeah, surrender our drag queens. Why are the, there so many more drag the, queens than the this? first, the first vo volunteer drag queen regiment? Oh, um, you are so parroting Rush. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rush was a genius. What was but, his I mean, Amazon, can you imagine? Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, the Amazon Battalion, right? right? Yeah, yeah. What we what we export is uh, homosexuality and feminism, and what we import is goods, and that can't last for long. To be honest, I mean that can that cannot last um, indefinitely. And what does the what? Who said uh, if something can't go on forever, it won't? Um, well, we're in the it won't phase. We're in the yeah. Well, it was interesting because I don't know if you guys listen to Derek Hunter at all, and he infuriates me because he's so against secession, and he believes that Ukraine had the right to bomb Donbass, etc., just like the United States would have the right to bomb. Washington State and Oregon, if they ever left. But this morning, he's like, you know, this country's really falling apart. We need to go to a small country like Ireland, for instance, and flood the zone and take it over because we need one place to stay free in this world. And if I thought he would answer me, I would say, yes, that's exactly why there is a secession movement, because there has to be one place and there isn't anymore. So we can go to Ireland or we can go to New Hampshire or somewhere else. But if this Ireland is a country of five million and and they're planning the the non-Irish government, that is the government of Ireland is run by non-Irish people right now. They are planning to increase the population over the next 20 years to five to 10 million from five million. And it's all from third world countries. So that plan is already being put into effect by uh, the not just as the non-British British government won't do anything about the importation of third world immigrants to Britain. And the non-Scottish, Scottish government is trying to increase uh, third world immigration into Scotland. The non-Irish, Irish government is doing the same in Ireland, although they are by far the worst. I guarantee you that within 40 years, all the white Irishmen, the actual Irish, will be in the United States and Ireland will be an African colony. Um, that's, how, that's how bad. Uh, the government is in Ireland. So you think Biden didn't uh, fix it when he was there? Yeah. <laughs> Which he can't remember being. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. This whole Protestant Catholic thing is going to, that's, that doesn't matter anymore. These people who think, oh, well, Northern Ireland should be part of the Republic of Ireland or should be part of Great Britain. You guys, it, it's not even going to be part of Ireland at all. It's going to be part of Swaziland. Oh, speaking it's, of, it's going to be part of Ghana. Speaking of the UK, I've been remiss. I feel terrible. Um, we were approached to send an ambassador from the Liberty Bloc to the coronation. Any volunteers? Sure, I would go. You'll go? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Look, look out in your email for a ticket. 
Okay, I will look for that. You can sit next to the American Idol judges. <laughs> Again, I, I, you know, we've talked about the Royals before. Uh, Charles is a horrible, horrible human being. And uh, Camilla is not any better. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of pageantry and whatnot, but um, it, you know, Britain, Britain is in a slightly better demographic place than the United States. But that is very temporary. Is it interesting that first ladies in both our countries are named the same thing? Who, Camilla and Camilla? No, Camilla oh, and Campbell. Oh, oh, oh Cam Camilla and Campbell. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, is God trying to tell us something? I don't know what. I mean, they're not like <sighs> names. I'm not following, you know, months ago, the big thing in, in Britain, and Daniel's not here with us today, was he was trying to have this ecumenical coronation and the Brits were up yeah. in arms. Does anybody know who's winning on that one? Oh, no, the he lost. He lost. He lost. Yeah, he Which is, he backed down. Well, I mean, you can't be head of the Church of England and be against the Church of England. That is constitutionally impermissible, and uh, he would be kicked out on his ass, and William would be put in if he did that. So, and then that's—I think—that's what they told him in no uncertain terms. You don't have to be a member of the Church of England if you don't want to. It's a free country, but you can't be king. So, who who would be the they? Who has that power? The government. Parliament. Yeah, the government. And Parliament, you think cares? That's interesting. Um, I think, I think there is a large monarchist uh, faction within Britain, and, and for a lot of reasons, not just because it brings in tourists, but for for a lot of reasons. And uh, yeah, it's that's they've kicked kings out before. They kicked Edward the Eighth out. Um, they would be no problem. They kicked, um, you know. James the second out, they kick, you know, so I mean, the parliament has kicked kings out before and they'd kick him out if he didn't toe the line on certain constitutional issues. Well, that's actually a positive thought. Maybe America has red lines as well. All right, what we haven't gotten to, to if anything, guys? Um, so I don't know if you guys caught any of the, uh, the Senate hearings about Clarence Thomas, but the, the leftist Democrats, these slimy Democrats, who have probably more ethical issues in their history than anybody, are attacking Clarence Thomas on some of this stuff. It just, it really is despicable. And they're so evil, they will stop at nothing. They will trample over no one, destroy anyone who gets in their way of their goals of you know, total power. Did and you hear the cruise clip? I, I did hear some of it. I actually saved it because it was so good. I would play it. It was yeah. magnificent. Did you hear it, Ed? I did not. Let me see if you guys can hear this. Hold on. Yeah. Justice Thomas was appointed in 1991. And the time since then, he's taken 109 reported trips, five international trips. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed in 1993, two years later. And the time she was on the court, she took 157 trips, including 28 international trips. Mr. Payne, yes or no, do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was corrupt? No. Nor do I. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not alone. Justice Stephen Breyer, appointed the year later in 1994, took 233 reported trips, including 63 international trips. Again, yes or no, Mr. Payne, do you think Stephen Breyer was corrupt? 
No. Nor do I. I would point out Justice Kagan has done the same thing. Justice Sotomayor has done the same thing. And yet none of my Democrat colleagues care because this is a political attack directed at a justice they hate. And by the way, let's spend a moment focusing on Justice Stephen Breyer, a delightful human being, someone I know personally, someone who served decades on the court. <laughs> justice Stephen Breyer repeatedly traveled on the penny of a prominent Democratic billionaire, the Pritzker family. Now, J.B. Pritzker is the Democrat governor of the state of Illinois, from which our chairman hails. I, I would be shocked if the chairman of this committee has not had multiple meals with the Pritzker family. Justice Breyer was a longtime member of the board that awarded the Pritzker Architecture Prize. Now, what did that mean? That meant Justice Breyer traveled on the dime of these Democrat billionaires. In 2019, Justice Breyer traveled to New York City, to Vancouver, and Paris. In 2018, Justice Breyer traveled to Ireland and Spain. In 2016, he traveled to New York, Spain, and France. In 2013, he traveled to Norway, Sweden, Denmark. In 2012, he traveled to Beijing and to London. All of this paid for by the Pritzker Foundation. Now, none of my Democrat colleagues are mad about this. And let me be clear. I'm not suggesting Justice Breyer is corrupt. What I'm suggesting is this committee is corrupt because this is a kangaroo circuit circus. And I will note, we had 15 Senate Democrats, including six members of this committee, send a letter to the Appropriations Committee threatening to cut off the funding for security at the Supreme Court. The left is willing to threaten the lives of the justices. Justice Samuel Alito this weekend in the Wall Street Journal said that the attacks directed at the justices are making them targets of assassination. Two comments. Number one, yes. bravo. Number two, am I crazy that he could have been president if he would have brought that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's only half right, though. I mean, obviously, he's right that it's a political attack, but he's wrong. <laughs> They're all corrupt. <laughs> no, but at least he said <laughs> the Congress is corrupt. But... I just wonder where that Cruz was when he was running for president. I like that Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like he's it. in Trump. That's I, mean, I mean, it was great political theater. I mean, a lot of what he said is fine. Um, but what's really at issue here? I mean, yeah, they hate Clarence Thomas. We know we know they hate his guts because he's a black conservative. But they're trying to delegitimize the the court, the so called yep. the so called defenders of democracy. They want to delegitimize this court. The stuff about the Chevron potentially being overturning. They want all these rulings to be seen as uh, not legitimate. And they're, they're setting it up to pack the court. That's what they wanted. Well said, Mike. And by the way, a heck of a lot of them have uh, quoted uh, Chuck Schumer, and I'm loving it, that a lot of his own colleagues have you know, replayed what he said, you know, you have, what is it, drawn, attracted the whirlwind or whatever he said, stirred the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. You sow the wind and you reap the whirlwind. I'm shocked <laughs> at you, Mr. Old Testament scholar, that you don't know the verse. It's because from, you know uh, why? A, <laughs> A, I don't read anything in English. So forgive me for quoting something right. in English. <laughs> Luckily, I can understand it in a more original language. Um, I see. Okay. Uh, Ed or Ed, real quick, anything we didn't get to? I got none. Nope. Nope. I don't think we missed any news. I, 
actually, I'll, I'll just make a comment, uh, you know, from, you know, from one of our private threads, I think it's worth talking to our audience about it as well. Um, this is aimed at all the, the fiscal conservatives and social moderates who say that we have to get out of the cultural wars. I, I think that that's a gigantic mistake. And I think that the reason is that the left, if we see the culture wars to the left, they use the culture wars to create economic dependence. And they can create them faster than we can create people who are going to vote for economic liberty. Um, we have to fight the culture wars. Um, I know Trump is, is trying to stay out of the culture wars. The attacks on DeSantis that have been coming out lately are that he's too much of a culture warrior. But I think that that's, that's where the battle needs to be fought right now. And I say that as someone who once upon a time in my more libertarian days was more of a fiscal conservative social liberal. Uh, I, I'm not anymore. And it's not because my positions on the underlying issues have changed. I think that we have to understand that this culture war is, is really where the battle is being joined right now. And if we don't fight there, they're going to create, I mean, when you destroy children, the way these guys are trying to destroy children, you know, if you cut off a young girl's breasts or a young boy's penis and you tell them that they, they, that they aren't what they are, they're not going to grow up to be self-sustaining, independent economic powerhouses. They're going to be dependent on the government. And we need, to be, we need to recognize that and we need to fight the battle where the battle is being fought and, and right now where it's being lost. Can I get an A-woman? A-woman. Yes, I, I think, you know, someone said that... Um, they're just they, the oligarchy is distracting us with this uh, culture war nonsense while they basically um, rake in trillions of dollars, you know, basically from the middle class to themselves. And to a certain extent, that's true. But um, I mean, they're trying to trans their kids, right? I and mean, we'd have to fight back. I mean, if not, then when? I'm glad people are fighting back. I mean, I'm glad finally we found an issue where it seems like the American public is willing to fight back. Um, they should have fought back 150 years ago, but I mean, oh, of course they did, but um, 148 years ago. But, uh, you know, if, if we're weak, waking the sleeping giant, you know, maybe that's good. I don't care what the issue is, just, you know, wake the giant. You know, I guess I have to wonder, and we have to finish up, but, where are the intactivists when it comes to transsexuals, transgenders? You know, when it was a religious thing, they're all against it. But if it's not a religious thing, if it's a psychiatric or whatever they want to call it, cultural, it's, it's fine. a cult. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to bring up that question another time. We're going to close out for today. We'll be back next week at our regular time. Thank everyone for being here. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at liberty.libertyblock.com. Have a wonderful evening.